everybody. Welcome back to our Get to Know Your Professors episode. In this episode, we're meeting with Dr. Heejun Oh and Dr. Ru Shi. The main point of these podcasts is to get you to know your professors a little bit better so they seem less intimidating for you as you go throughout your chemi career. How do we know what professors to pick? We aim to get everyone multiple times, hopefully, but the first few will be the selection of the majority. The questions we're asking are from a survey that we sent out before to the CHE population. So why don't we begin by introducing yourselves and what classes have you taught in the past? So start off with Professor O. Thank you for inviting inviting me to this podcast. I'm very excited to uh, be here. I started my my lab here at Penn State a year ago, right before COVID hit uh, the whole world. Um, So I've been teaching mass transfer and operation for undergrad. And I'm now teaching a graduate elective course, more intense course combining uh, transport phenomena, polymers, and thermodynamics all together. From my background, you imagine I'm work, I'm, I work on polymer membranes for separation to get uh, clean water, uh, clean energy, and clean air. So these are the main topics that we see specifically see how small molecules like water, ions, or gases across the membrane. So this uh, specific topic is very useful to uh, get clean water from seawater okay, and CO2 capture all this technologies related environment. So that's the main thing. And why I like Penn State, I have many good friends who graduated from Penn State in academia and they said they brag about Penn State very much. And Penn State has very strong history in salt material and membrane research. So from my research perspective, this is a perfect place. And Penn State also has a very strong and longest, one of the longest history uh, graduate program in chemical engineering. And the location is, uh, we're in a college town, a very safe place to have a family and then uh, grow a family here. So in, in many ways, Penn State is a perfect place to uh, start my independent career. Awesome. Thank you. Professor Shi? Um, yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, this is really a pleasure to get a chance to share with the students. Um, I am one of the professors here at Penn State. I joined um, Penn State last August, late August, in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Um, I researchers in life cycle assessment and environmental sustainability. So my research is as the interface of energy and the environment. I also teach the capstone design course, CHE 470. Um, I have, this is, has already been my second semester teaching this course so far. Um, why do I like Penn State? Well. Uh, yeah, um, professionally, I chose Penn State because my, like I said, my research is and the interface of energy and the, the environment. So Penn State has a leading energy program, and we also have interdisciplinary research institutes, which I could really work with people from diff- different fields to integrate basic research with sustainability assessment. So that's a primary reason I chose Penn State uh, from a professional standpoint. And personally, 
I'm really an outdoor person. I really enjoy hiking, skiing, etc. And this area just have the amazing landscape I have seen so far. So, yep. Awesome. Thank you. So our first question we're going to start off with, um, why did you choose chemical engineering? So we'll start off with Professor Shi. I chose to study chemical engineering back in college. So I have always been interested in um, solving sustainability issues, but I also want to work in the technical space. So I think being a chemical engineer, it gives flexibility to work on and research sustainability related issues from fundamental science to applied engineering and everything in between. So that's the reason I chose chemical engineering in my undergrad study. And I just continued that in graduate school and until now. That's great. Um, so Professor O? Um, I'm a very classically trained chemical engineer. Uh, I have a BS in chemical engineering, master and PhD in chemical engineering. I originally started from biology. So I studied biology for a year and chemistry for a year. Um, I think I was very much interested in going to medical school at the time. And then I really like professor in chemical engineering because they're really showing using a very fundamental topics they taught and they show how to integrate that and then make a product and then uh, starting a company. So those kind of entrepreneur environment really something triggered me that I'm more like an engineer, not in the biology or chemistry field. I like to use fundamental knowledge like from biology and chemistry and then combine them together and make it something useful, something to uh, really applicable in real life application. So that's why I switched my direction in my uh, third year. And then the interaction between, I, I really like the chemical engineering professors. So that's why I end up staying in chemical engineering. And then the mindset in chemical engineering is that how can we solve real life problems using the knowledge that we have? I really like that mindset. That's why I'm doing chemical engineering right now. And then whenever I pick up the research topic, we always start from the problem and then what we can do using the knowledge that I have. So uh, that's the exciting point of chemical engineering. Yeah, definitely. I think that's great to hear. Um, so next question, what is your favorite thing about Penn State so far? Mm. Start with Professor O. My favorite things about Penn State is that people here. Okay? Many of undergraduate students probably don't aware of, are not aware of this, but a faculty here is really a world-class faculty. Um, in my research area specifically, the salt materials, polymers, and membrane research, okay, we have world-class faculty here. And the facilities, okay, we have Millennium Science Complex, um, we have a lot of user facilities on campus. These are like a small national lab. So facility and research faculty are great and students are very, very good. So because program is huge and then um, I was preparing my lecture note today. 
Um, chemical engineering started about 1926-27, and it became an official department in 1948. Okay? But it has the, one of the longest history in the US and around the world in chemical engineering. So it has a great manpower, history and the legacy. So in my area, uh, polymer membrane field, you know, old professors who passed away from Penn State, they're the, we learned their theories in our textbook. So all this very strong history, and then they nurture very good undergraduate students. So undergraduate graduate from Penn State has had the, the biggest uh, alumni network. You're probably aware of that. And then that's very powerful. And then students here are very good. They serve very well in industry for decades. So student, faculty, research, environment, everything is very good at Penn State. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Professor Shi? Yeah, I was going to answer the same thing. Like the people here, um, my colleagues and the students, I mean, being surrounded by the most brilliant, inspiring people and um, students in general, I really appreciate that. And if I could add one more thing on top of that, I like the ice cream here. <laughs> <laughs> the creamy ice cream. Right. What's your favorite flavor? Um, the peach, the Georgia peach. Oh, I have not tried that yet. <laughs> I'm more of a mint type person, but I'll have to try the peach. Sure. So our next question is, what do you like to do in your free time or just some hobbies, things that you do outside of your profession and like the school and academia area? Um, we'll start off with Professor Shi. Yeah, I, I enjoy reading. I read a lot and I write a lot. And uh, besides that, I'm very interested in architectural and interior design. Sometimes I joke with my friends, if I'm not a chemical engineer, if I do not do process design, I'm probably going to choose a different career as interior designer. So I really like to do that kind of, you know, open-ended um, design things. Hmm, that's interesting. What kinds of books do you like to read? What kinds of books I like to read? Oh, I really don't have a particular ranger. I read anything from psychology to literature to history to novel. So I just like to read in general. I don't have to limit myself into, you know, um, the things that in my ankle chamber. So I, I just enjoy reading everything. Oh, interesting. Do you have any recommendations for what us students could read in our free time? Uh, I would not give a recommendation because I think it's, uh, it's really up to you. Different people would have a different interests. And for anything that can broaden your horizon or that anything that are of particular interest, I think would be good. Um, yeah. Thank you. And Professor O? What do I do in my free time? Yeah. That's a very good question. Um, these days, I don't have that much free time. So I'm looking forward to have more free time after this semester ends. Um, I like to go for a trip, which is very hard these days. So I like to travel around the world, meeting friends, um, 
that's something that I always wanted to do. And then um, I like to watch movies. I like to go to a different restaurant and try different food. I like to do um, that as well. Yes. And just relax, watch TV. Hmm. What's your favorite cuisine? Cuisine. Oh, I like so many food. I like Chinese food, Korean food, uh, Indian food. Because my postdoc advisor, he was a uh, he was originally from India, mm -hmm. so he introduced a lot of different Indian cuisine, and then he cooked for us as well. And oh, then wow. I did my postdoc in Berkeley, and you imagine we have huge, uh, large Indian population in the Bay Area, so there are many good places. Um, and then I like uh, burgers, barbecue. I really like barbecue. I, I, I spent uh, my time in Austin, Texas. I got my a PhD degree in Texas. And then when you graduate from Texas, you have to get second degree in uh, barbecue. Otherwise, you will not be able to graduate. Really? It was a good thing. Uh, so after COVID is gone, I, I really want to uh, have my barbecue party with my, my, my students. We couldn't do it for a while. So oh. those are things that I like to do. Are you now going to invite faculty for your barbecue party? <laughs> Only students? Students, faculty. <laughs> By the oh, way, all of Kemi. Yes, yes. Louis and I are very good friends. We're going to have lunch together sometime this week. And we, we have been talking about um, going to a dim sum place for a while. So if yeah. you guys know about any good dim sum place, definitely let us know. Yes. Hmm. I don't know any dim sum, but Annie might. <laughs> I don't think so, not around downtown at least. Um, but when you were in Texas, did you go visit Bucky's? Bucky's? What is Bucky's? Are you from Texas? No. Um, but Texas is known for like their huge like gas stations. The Bucky's Yeah, Bucky's gas station. It's like uh the Cabela's of yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> basically. That's right, that's right. They got everything in there. You yeah, name it, it's yeah. like in there. Oh yeah, yeah. Thanks for reminding. I almost forgot. Yeah. That and like, I love H-E-B, favorite grocery store. Yes, here everything is best. Yeah. That's H-E-B. I almost forgot. Thanks for reminding. You guys are good. <laughs> I just like to travel. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you said you like to travel also. Where, what's your next stop on your destination here? Because I haven't seen my family for a year because of COVID. So I'll definitely go back to Korea to see my family. And um, I like to go to Austin, Texas um, because of food, uh, barbecue, and they have a huge music festival twice per year. Oh, yeah. What is it called? I really want to go. It's like on my bucket list. Yes. South by Southwest. And then there's another one, which I forgot. So there's a one during the March about this time and mm -hmm. then another one in the fall. So it was it was really fun. Yeah, that's on my that's on my bucket list of, uh -huh. it, uh -huh. of one of the places to go. Austin Music Festival. Yes. Yes. They're serious. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we'll head to the next question. So what made you want to become a professor? And we'll start with Professor O. I think a uh, professor is one of the best jobs in the world, I'll say, 
because I'm always surrounded by young students and they're very, very eager to learn something. And then we're in a research institution, so we can, we have freedom to explore any problems, any meaningful but risky problems uh, that may have impact in the future on society. So that kind of freedom, I really like the freedom working with students and then interacting with young students and then all this interaction with students, I really like every aspect. So that's why I'm here. And I really like every aspect about being a professor. Even the grading? Grading. Yeah, you even like the grading part about it? Oh, uh, that's a good question. A little bit less. <laughs> that part is intense. I bring that up because on a last up, on a previous episode, I think it was um, Stephanie and Dr. Alger, I think. Um, I like, so. That's her least favorite part of a, being a professor. It's grading. Mm -hmm. I think I agree with them. Professor Shi, what's your, what made you want to become a professor? Uh, well, this could be a quite long story for me. Um, I mean, some people are just very lucky. They explored their interest in the very early age. Um, but for me, before I decided to work in academia or become a professor, I tried to explore a few different career paths and see uh, what different professions would look like in five years, in 10 years. So um, as I mentioned, I wanted to devote myself to solving, sort of solving sustainability issues. But I start, I considered to find a job in industry. Um, I took internships there. I interned at the finance company and I also interned at the United Nations or different offices, but all related to climate change or environmental issues. And after all of that years of exploration, I realized perhaps to address the climate change or like more broader sustainability issues, um, energy transition would be the key. So I clearly see the gaps between um, technology innovations and um, industry commercials productions and the gaps between policies and research. So I wanted to you know, work in this field, working academia, so I can really advance the frontier of renewable energy technology through the integration of basic research and environmental sustainability. So that's how I decided to land in um, academia. And also I think as Professor Ong just mentioned, being a faculty, uh, that's perhaps one of the most rewarding jobs in the world. So you're working with the young, brilliant students, you're sharing your knowledge and also help with the success of your students. So actually, um, I'm just going to share you with this exciting news. So a couple of hours ago, I just received an email from a student who was in my class last semester. So she took the CAMI design course last semester. She did really well and I supported her for her application to graduate school. So I wrote her recommendation letters, et cetera. And just a few hours ago, she sent me an email. She has just been offered 
um, admission from Columbia University and Brown University. So I feel I feel just so happy for her. And that's, I mean, the opportunities of being able to help other people, being able to teach and mentoring students is really valuable for me. So um, all of that, that, that's the reason I decided to become a professor. Yeah, that's really amazing, especially for a student that you were able to help as well. Yeah. Um, so start off, we'll go to the next question. Um, what type of research do you do and what interests you to do that research in this area? So we can start with Professor Shi. Well, my research is at the interface of energy and the environment. Um, so I do life cycle assessment, environmental sustainability. So like I said, basically um, our lab um, focuses on translating the um, individual innovations in the lab. We translate lab skill results into system, system level sustainability results in terms of the cost and in terms of the environmental impacts, etc. So as you might already know, there's already technical innovations out there. There's a lot of emerging uh, techniques. The difficulty is that we don't know how to mobilize those technologies. We don't know how to commercial those, how to scale up those technologies. So my lab really focuses on you know, um, using the technique called life cycle assessment and technical economic analysis and helps to address a gap between, you know, lab skill results, individual technology innovations into system level productions or system level sustainabilities. Awesome, thank you. And Professor O? I work on polymer membranes for separation. So, my job is to separate molecule in a one mixture and then just pick a what I want. So for clean water, I only pick a water molecule from the seawater. Seawater consists of water, a lot of different type of ions inside. So, and then I also work for biomedical application. So in the bloodstream, when we inject chemotherapy drugs. Um, there are about thousands of chemotherapy drugs out there. And regardless of how careful we inject the chemotherapy drug, typically 50 to 90% of drug is missing. It's not trapped by the tumor, but it goes to the heart and pump through the body and cause toxicity at distant location. So what I'm trying to do in my lab is pick up those excess chemotherapy drug in the bloodstream before they cause toxicity at distant locations. So when you hear my description, you see that what I'm wanting to do is pick a molecule that I want selectively. So precision, selectivity is the key in the field and differentiating different molecules having same size, same charge, um, is very difficult task. And that is the area that I'm looking at. And when you hear about like seawater desalination, 
and the biomedical application, it sounds like a very different area, but at the very core, it's the same thing. What I'm doing is picking up the molecule that I want by changing the chemistry and the physical structure in the polymer membrane. So this kind of knowledge is more important in the future because we're using lithium ion batteries every day, for instance. We don't have that much lithium in the land, but we have tremendous amount of lithium ion in the seawater. Seawater is rich source of all the critical elements. Okay. But the problem is that we really don't know at this point how to pick up right molecule from the seawater. Okay. So can we harvest lithium ion from the seawater? Or can we harvest important critical element from the seawater? So those are the topics that can be covered if we really understand how can we tune the interaction between molecule and the polymer membrane. So that's the main topic, okay? So how can we separate molecule? That is about how to get the clean water, how to get the clean air, and then remove CO2 from the air, and then how can we get good energy resource? So to make a long story short, I'm looking at how small molecule interact with the polymer membrane. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So our next question is, uh, what do you think like the job outlook is like for international chemistry students who are coming to the U.S. to study and then they're trying to find jobs within within the U.S.? We'll start off with Professor O. I think sky's the limit. There's no limitation. We have very promising um, demand from the industry, academia, any source of, you know, start of any, any, any area, we need chemical engineer. I think I mentioned about this briefly at the very beginning our, of our conversation. Chemical engineer is, we're using chemistry, physics, and then biology, and all these fundamental knowledge and combine them together to solve real life problems. And then these days, real life problems are about environmental issues, how to get clean water and air, energy issues, and then health issues, because people's life expectancy is getting longer and longer. So all these disciplines, we really need chemical engineer to really use this scientific knowledge, okay, fundamental knowledge, and combine together, integrate, and really tackle this problem. So again, sky's the limit. So there huge demand for chemical engineers uh, because the way we are trained, we understand transport, um, thermal, and then all these core courses, okay? And then we know how to integrate them. And we know how to make a, a product. We have a product design courses so all these things together, uh, this is something that industry is lacking. So I think um, it doesn't matter if it's international or domestic student, there are great opportunities for chemical engineering in general. And with international students in specifically, okay, um, they have different background, cultural background. So what it means by that is that you can add different perspectives so compared to the domestic student, international student, 
grown up from different culture and different mindset. So they bring a new value to the company. That's what something companies are looking for. That's why in the Bay Area, that's where all the people from around the world gather together and then create new companies out there. That's possible because people from different backgrounds, they bring in new perspective. So that's why, you know, when we hire new students for a research group, we try to have a group coming from different uh, cultural backgrounds because they bring in different perspective. And that really makes a program very strong based on diversity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's great to hear. And Professor Shi? Yeah, I highly agree on that. I mean, for the most part, I think the job opportunities for international students are no different than um, domestic students. Although visa might be a hurdle because you only have like 90 days as a great period after you graduate on your F1 visa, but that means you just need to prepare yourself well. So hopefully everyone can land to the satisfactory job position after the graduate. Um, I want to point out that um, for both domestic students and international students, so besides working uh, the traditional chemical engineering companies like the petrochemical or chemical companies, in recent years, the industrial biotech industry is booming. So there's a lot of opportunities there. So for companies like Zymogen, Amaris, or Motif, or even Impossible, like the company produced Impossible Burger, that's basically based on fermentation to produce heme as a protein. So companies like that in the um, industrial biotech industry is definitely something that worth to look at. And um, there's really no limitations in terms of the job categories a chemical engineers can do. You can either work in the traditional chemical engineering field or outside of the chemical engineering field. I have known a few students, particularly in the modeling side of chemical engineering, they uh, end up working finance. And in finance industries, there's two job categories, excuse me. They're particularly looking for engineering students. Um, one is called quantitative analyst. So they're looking for someone who's really at modeling and uh, um, mathematics. So I think a lot of chemical engineering students have that skill. And another job category is called equity research, which is basically um, someone really know an industry like biotech or uh, pharmaceutical or petrochemical. So they want to hire students who have those knowledge to help them to make decisions in terms of their financial investment. So yeah, there's just a lot of opportunities out there working petrochemical companies, working industrial biotech, working pharmaceutical, or even working finance or working software industries. So there's no limitations. And I think our chemical engineering students can really do well. Um, and there's one more path I want to mention for international students is the um, international corporations. A lot of them have their offices all over the world, including US. 
So like, um, uh, I forgot the name, Sinopak, one of the largest petrochemical companies in China and also in the world. They have their offices in Texas and I know Toyota and not a lot of the companies they have their offices in the US. So students are very welcome, international students, students are very welcome to work in those companies because they know the culture, they have diversified backgrounds and they have prepared themselves through their education in the US to work in the um, US environment. So yeah, that's another job, um, like a career path our international students can seek for. Yeah, definitely. I think you both hit some really good ways for international and domestic students to just look for jobs and different paths they can take. So thank you. Um, our next question is, so it's like a kind of a two-part question, but so first is what, what is some advice you'd give to first female engineers and then second, just international students in general as they're to, you know, navigate their way through this pandemic, through engineering courses and just, um, education here. We'll start with Professor Shi. Um, I think for female students, one advice I would give them is to uh, do not limit yourself, try to broaden your horizon, try to talk with people and really like aim for high. So as a female chemical engineer, like um, we do not see a lot of representation so far I started, um, I began in chemical engineering in my undergrad and back then like the ratio was probably 50-50 between female and male students. And as, as the time goes on, after I went to graduate school, there were less female students there. And after I become a faculty, there was even a fewer female faculties here. So I think a lot of difficulties you probably see is like you don't see the representations and you have fewer peer support. But in that, um, in that situation, I think I really want to, you know, encourage female students and um, encourage them to try different, you know, different ways that can prepare yourself to succeed. And for international students in general, I mean, this has been a difficulty situations during the COVID, you probably do not get a lot of opportunities to talk or even interact with your peer um, classmates or your um, professors, but still you need to, you know, um, put yourself in the position that, um, you know, you really try to diversify your experience and try just to try to explore as much as you can. And uh, we have just talked about all of the job opportunities here. So try to do internships and try to know those industries as early as you can. You can reach out to your um, senior students or Penn State have really, really strong alumni network. Try to shoot them an email on LinkedIn or as a platform. I'm sure they are willing to answer your questions and share their their experience with you. So you prepare yourself before you graduate so you can really know what you really want after you graduate and hopefully you can land yourself into a good position to start off your career. 
Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for that advice. I know a lot of the students who listen to this, they will appreciate it. Um, Professor O? I echo uh, Louis' every comment. I can't agree with her anymore. First, with the female student, this is what I found when I was teaching and the mentoring female students. They're very good, but their recognition about themselves, they don't think they're good enough. Uh, that's pretty common with the female students. They have a very high standard about themselves that they're very good from outside, but they think they're not good enough. And I found that sometimes it's very hard to change that mindset. And I really want a female student to uh, really think they're capable and shooting for the stars. For instance, this is based on my own experience. Female students tend to try something new when they're 90% sure about it. Male students, even though they're just like maybe 60% ready, they just try. And when we learn something new on the way, we learn by doing it. So even though you think you're not good enough to try uh, for something new or apply for graduate school or anything that you think is challenging for you, I think you never know until you try it. So that's something that I always tell my sister too. International students, same thing. I think studying abroad, uh, using the language that's not your mother language, uh, that is very hard, but at the same time, you have a great story to tell your um, tell your friends or your daughter or your son, maybe in 20 or 30 years later, that you're very brave enough to come to the U.S. and study abroad and that you, uh, you survived the COVID-19. So you're really making a great story to tell. So I, I like international students to see this thing as an opportunity to shape you as a stronger person, not something that uh, makes you stop and uh, something that you, uh, you think is a hurdle for your life. Definitely. Both of you guys gave great advice, so thank you. And so our next question, so what are some challenges that you've faced so far in teaching either if in person and person wise, or just even over Zoom? Mm -hmm. uh, we can start with Professor O. I think it's something to do with COVID-19. I haven't seen my, my undergrad student in person for almost a year, because I think last year campus was shut down starting in March about spring break. Yeah, right around this time. Right around this time. So no interaction that makes things difficult. And sometimes, you know, when I teach in, in the classroom, it's very easy to uh, pick up some point that students don't understand very well because I could see face, I could feel the, feel the energy. But with Zoom teaching, um, it's just hard because of no interaction. And I don't think Zoom setting can replace any type of education happening in person. So that in-person aspect is missing, so that's difficult. Yeah, I definitely agree. Do you have like try to have your students uh, keep their cameras on during class or 
Or is everyone normally just on the black screen? Um, most of the time, I think almost 99% uh, cameras is off. Uh, Sometimes I ask students to turn on camera during midterm or final exam. But other than that, I, I also understand that people have different you know, house and they have their you know, different circumstances. So I do not ask for turning on the camera um, during class time. But there are some graduate students who turn on their camera during the class, which is really helpful because I, when I talk and I, you know, because human being, I tend to just see anything moving in my screen that's my student or graduate student who turn on their camera. So yes, that's how we're doing. But, you know, whenever I start my class, I say, how are you? Everyone okay? And typically it's very silent, quiet. So it's like a monologue with the Zoom setting. Yeah, definitely. Professor Shi? Yeah, definitely the COVID possesses a lot of challenges. Um, I mean, in the normal classroom, I probably would just put together all of the materials into my slides or just walk the students through using whiteboard if I need any calculations. But right now, um, I am teaching a class of over 130 students. We have students on the Zoom. We have some other students in the sitting in the classroom. So, and for example, this morning, I tried to show them the slides, I tried to show them a report and also uh, Excel sheets. And I also tried to walk them through some of the calculations using my iPad using Notability. So that has caused a lot of technical issues trying to switch between this and that and also taking care of the students in the classroom and also in, in, the, other, in the other end of the Zoom. So yeah, the COVID definitely possesses a lot of challenges so far, but I hope um, everything could get better soon. And uh, another thing that appears to be challenging so far to me is the appropriate level of difficulty and complexity in teaching each of the class sessions. So especially the design course I'm teaching this year and also uh, last semester. It's an open-ended problem-solving course. So we really want to have our students to get to know a lot of things in terms of design, economics, uncertainty, environmental impacts, et cetera. But sometimes um, like I prepare my lectures diligently for six, eight hours for each session. But when I put a lot of information there in each of the lecture, it turns out not everything in my lecture that the students can necessarily follow. So I'm still trying to figure out what's the appropriate level of complexity in the lecture so that student can follow me while I can maximize their ability of learning. Yeah, definitely. You said this was your second semester, right? Teaching? Second semester. So you were you haven't taught in person at all? No. Like, no. Well, yeah. So do you, do you think it'll be harder to go through with from changing from like this online format to in person? I don't think so. I think that will be more exciting and and much easier if we have the whole class sitting in the classroom. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'll be exciting too. You get to have an in-person experience, hopefully next year in the fall. Next question we have is, why do you teach the way that you teach? And we'll start with Professor Shi. Um, well, as we have just communicated, I am. Um, I just started my teaching um, not too long ago, so I haven't developed a particular way of teaching yet. I'm just um, teaching a way that I think is better for the students, but I'm quite adaptable and flexible, um, and I'm willing to tailor my teaching um, methods or my teaching. Um, philosophies to the need of the students. So um, right now I'm trying to provide them a lot of information. So I hope they can learn a lot in the class. If they couldn't, in after they graduate or within three years, they could still come back to exam what they have learned in the class. And I think that will be very valuable for them to just prepare them a lot of new technologies, new information there. So, but I'm willing to you know, tailor my teaching, my way of teaching. If you guys have any comments or have any suggestions that will be better for, your, for yourself. Yeah. Have you like taught, taken any methods from maybe like your past professors, like maybe in your undergrad or like postdoc things like, you like take yeah. methods from there? Yeah, well, I have went to a few workshops and here in Penn State, we have trainings for each of the uh, faculties who are teaching in each semester. So I definitely learned a lot from that in terms of how to engage students, how to create homeworks, things like that. So those are very beneficial. And, but I'm still like learning and practicing my way of teaching. It's awesome to hear. And Professor O? I think I'm a little bit old school type. I was trained by a grandfather-like PhD advisor. It's more like printing. And then we use pen and pencil to discuss and do some calculation. And um, that's how I mentor my students. And for my classroom teaching, I prefer to use uh, chalk, chalk talk. Um, using pen and pencil all the time. So I think that's more helpful for me to simplify um, equations and then share it with class. That's how I, how I teach and I, I'm, um, I'm more like an old school type teaching. Those are some great insights for sure because I know a lot of times students oftentimes um, get frustrated or they're like, Oh, why is a teacher um, teaching the way they are? So those are very good insights for our students from the student perspective to gain insight of what to expect from a classroom. Mm -hmm. um, we have a couple more surprise questions for you guys, but. Actually, can I ask one question to you folks? Like, yeah, um, absolutely. Annie Cole and Mahak, um, who's like, you guys are in different levels of your undergrad. Um, life, like second year graduate students for Mahat and Annie, you are in the capstone design. So one of you are learning like the basic principles and one of you are really you know, trying to solve open-end problems which don't have a certain way to, you know, to, 
do certain things. So what's your text from your perspective? Like what kind of, what way of teaching you prefer or you would think that have you? So for me, um, I'm very big on like, I really want to go to industry. So like, I think that's a factor that also needs to be considered whether or not a student wants to go to academia route or the industry route kind of thing. And I know like for industry, one of the biggest struggles that students often face is application of the theory-based um, things that we learn in class. For example, like our fluids, um, 330, and then our heat and mass transfer, 350 and 410. Um, oftentimes like we learn all this and solve book problems, but like when we go out there to our internship, we're kind of just like stuck. Like we don't really know how to. So I think one of the biggest things that in the future could be developed as different, maybe like different projects that has different applications on like how would different industries use the um, different information that we learn or have um, alumni come in and present information about, for example, if we were in 350 for um, heat transfer, have an alumni come and talk about like the heat exchanger, like how is it used in um, manufacturing the plant floor and just like application based. I know there's some, some of the classes have projects. Um, so in my experience, I've had a class project in 210 and 410 that mm -hmm. both required an economic analysis. And I know like based on my internships that has been extremely useful. Um, however, there are other projects, for example, in 330 and 350. So the fluids and heat transfer classes where you, the project is basically just designing something. So to us, it's just like another quote unquote homework assignment rather than actually thinking about and applying. So I think one of the biggest things is just coming up with ways on how can we apply, apply the theory-based things into seeing them in real life. Yeah. So play into design and economics perspective into each course you think that's going to be valuable. And also like perhaps having alumni to share a little bit about industrial perspective mm -hmm. that's be helpful for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm also, so this semester I recruited a bunch of students that um, I'm TAing, which basically is trying to bridge the gap between the university and industry worlds. And it's based off of research that I worked on um, with a alumni that graduated in 2019 of his, um, honors thesis and so those main things that I just mentioned is basically a lot of um, the feedback that students often give so how about you Mahe what kind of ways of teaching are going to help you as a second year sophomore um I think a lot of what I know me and as well as some of the other sophomores in my class we all like we really like when professors can give us examples and like maybe even just work through one example with us so that we can actually see like what types of methods and steps they're taking and like how they're thinking to actually solve a problem that's given. Cause a lot of times, um, sometimes we're just given a problem and we just, and then we are, we just have equations but nobody knows what to do with it. And we, you know, we try to figure it out but a lot of times we don't even know like what kind of ways can we solve this type of a problem. So a lot of it, I think is comes with visual learning and just seeing somebody else do it first, seeing how they think about it and ways that they go about solving it so that we can actually 
you know, figure out how we can do that same thing and just like also apply it to other problems of similar um, difficulty and like types. I see, I see. Well, Liz, those kind of feedbacks are really valuable and I'm sure we are going to try to, you know, how to integrate those things into our future teaching. Great. Yeah, that'd, that'd be awesome. And so we're going to, we have like two fun questions that we came up with that we want to ask. The first one is, what do you think just like students would find the most um, interesting about you? Interesting means research or personal, anything? Anything, just anything, maybe something that you haven't mentioned already and like what they would find the most interesting about you. Just some, maybe like a random fun fact or something. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Probably something more personal so that students can find a way to connect with you. That's a very good question. Well, let's say I like to do CrossFit. Ooh. Oh. CrossFit, so very intense workout. Um, I like to do it. Um, swimming, triathlon, these are the things that are in my bucket list. Hmm. Would you want to do an Ironman? Yes, yes. That's awesome. Yes. Okay, um, Professor Sheep. I think something interesting the students might find about me is perhaps I share the same hobbies as I do. Like I watch a lot of movies um, and perhaps we both follow the same TV shows, <laughs> reality shows. What, yeah. are, what are some of the movies and TV shows you like to watch? I recently, I really like uh, the show called A Good Place. It's, um, yeah, it, it's kind oh, of- I like that show. I watched that too. Like that. Okay, good. Hmm. All right, that's cool. And so our final and last question. If you could be any animal, what would you be? And why? That's an interesting question. <laughs> I could be. This is the hardest question. Is harder than any research question. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so I think I might be want to be a dragon because I come from China, and dragon is kind of very special um, symbols in the Chinese culture. And the most important thing is dragon is so mysterious. No one really know about him or her mm -hmm. at all. It only exists in movie and in novels. That's a good answer. Mysterious animal. Yeah, I like dragons, they're cool. Yeah. Is that implying that you're also mysterious? <laughs> I know, you have to tell me you're in my class. Am I mysterious? Hopefully not. I don't know yet. <laughs> Too early to tell. And Professor Oaf? I like to be a seagull. Why? I don't know. It looks very peaceful. Are they, though? They steal all of our food at the beach. That's right. That's they right. also poop all over you. Yeah. <laughs> I have a story. So um, one year, I think when I was like six or something, we were at a broadwalk and um, Seagulls are flying above us, and there was a family in front of us that had a baby in a crib, and or in a stroller, not a crib, sorry. And seagulls, they were flying above us, and then one of them just like 
shot at a bunch of like poop. It was like like a straight line and then like it hit the dad and then the mom and then like the baby. So like they, they were all walking like behind one another. And then somebody across was like, that is so good luck. You just got, you just got like gold on you. Go buy a lottery ticket or something. And then the the family that got pooped on were like, are you sure it's good luck? Like I'm all like gross out oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was all that we had for today. Thank you for joining us and recording podcasts with us. Um, I know, like, we appreciate it, and the whole student body will appreciate it as well through Aiki. So, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoy it. And thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself as well.